Hi, I'm Katie Hampson and this is Rabies Today, a podcast produced by United Against Rabies with support from Dogs Trust Worldwide. Our topic today is rabies, dogs and wildlife. While a vast majority, over 95% of rabies cases in humans are caused by a bite from a rabid dog, those dogs can also infect wildlife. And this can have a devastating impact on wild animal populations and on the people who live close to them, who may be infected by them or who rely on those animals for their livelihoods. To discuss this topic, let me introduce my guests. First of all, I'd like to welcome Dr. Rauna Athingo, Chief Veterinarian, Animal Disease Control in the Northwest Subdivision of Namibia. Hi, Rauna, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Katie, for having me. And next up, I've got Cassie Boutel, Epidemiologist with the Pox Virus and Rabies Branch of the American Centers for Disease Control, CDC. Hi, Cassie. Hello, happy to be here. Great. And my third guest today is my colleague, Professor Jane Merjid from the Faculty of Veterinary Medicine and Animal Science at UNES in Brazil. Hi, Jane. Hi, Katie. Okay, Cassie, can we begin by you framing this? We need to talk about hosts, the animal species which provide a reservoir for the rabies virus and how that can change. Talk to me about that first, please. So any animal that comes in contact with a sick rabies reservoir can become infected. And that's what we would call a single spillover event or cross-species transmission. But a host shift event, on the other hand, is when maintained transmission of rabies is established in a new species and they become a new reservoir. Thanks, Cassie. I'd like to begin by each of you describing where you are in your own country in terms of elimination of dog rabies. And then if you could tell me a little bit about how dog rabies is also impacting wildlife. Cassie. In the US, we eliminated canine rabies in 2007. Unfortunately, this was not before multiple host shift events occurred, which established rabies transmission cycles in skunks, gray foxes, and red foxes. Now, wildlife, including skunks and gray foxes, maintain rabies transmission and are the main concern for human rabies exposures in the U.S. And over to you, Jane. So we almost eliminated canine rabies from all over the country, but the wildlife, foxes and wild dogs and bats and primates are responsible for human cases now. Thank you. Okay, Rona, how about in Namibia? Thank you, Katie. Just to start off, Namibia has developed a national control strategy in 2015 focusing on eliminating dog-mediated human rabies by vaccinating a source because it's a foreseeable, achievable way of controlling rabies. Because in Namibia, we have got two forms of rabies, the rabies in the dog population as well as the rabies in the wildlife. So the situations are quite different across the different settings. I'm quite surprised, Cassie. 2007, for the elimination of dog rabies in the US. That's not that long ago. <laughs> no, that was our last recorded case of the canine variant. And we'd worked at it for a very long time before that. But it was here long enough to establish in the wildlife. And now that is our only reservoir in the U.S. That really uh, is quite striking, though, isn't it? 
I mean, we really worry about dog-mediated rabies because there's so much close contact. But to think that dog-mediated rabies can actually get into a wildlife population and start a whole new cycle is, um, is quite worrying. Maybe Jane, maybe you could tell us a bit more about what is happening now in Brazil, because I think there are some parallels. So we almost eliminate canine rabies from Brazil, but now they have rabies in bats, we have rabies in wild dogs, and we have rabies in primates. For bats, we have variant 3 that's responsible for rabies in bats, mainly hematophagous bats, and the hematophagous bats, they, they feed blood from animals and humans, and in this way, they transmit the rabies. So many people would know those as vampire bats, then, is that correct? Exactly, vampire bats. But what is more interesting is that now for wild canids, like wild dogs, they got the rabies virus, the canine rabies virus strain, so it had a mutation, and now they have a specific rabies virus variant that it's maintained inside the wild dogs. And now the wild dogs are responsible for rabies in dogs, so there is a inverse transmission. So we have now the majority of, of rabies in dogs in Brazil is caused by the, the wild dog variant. It's for sure due to a close contact domestic dogs and wildlife. Really interesting. So it starts to increase in 1995, and now the number of uh, wild dogs positive to rabies is increasing every year. And considering rabies in domestic dogs, now if we consider 100 cases of uh, domestic dogs infected, almost 6% of them are infected with the wild dog variant. What percentage, sorry? Almost 60%. 60%, wow. Yeah, it's the wild dog variant. Oh, that's striking. Uh, how about Rona in Namibia? You have domestic dog rabies and also jackal rabies and also kudu rabies. Can you explain how they all fit together? Our strategy is focusing on eliminating dog-mediated human rabies by vaccinating a source of infection, mostly dogs. However, it also makes provision for studies on how to control rabies in kudos because of the social, economic, and the ecotourism impact that it has in Namibia. And most rabies cases were found in kudu, followed by cases in jackals and in the eland. That's now the antelope. However, there are also sporadic uh, cases that were detected in other carnivores like the bat ear foxes, the African wild cats, as well as the African wild dogs and other species. However, the great majority of these wildlife rabies cases were reported from the farmlands, which means this farm, they accommodate wildlife as well as uh, livestock. Hence, now there is also an economic impact on the livestock sector. So we have got the dog population one, which is mostly circulating in the northern part of the country. And then the wildlife one, which is mostly in the central part of the country. And so presumably the dog mediated cycle in the north is really more a 
bigger concern in terms of, of the public health impact, but the sort of wildlife cycle is more an economic impact because of losses. Exactly. But also it, it's, I find the story of kudu really mm-hmm. unusual. I mean, yeah. kudu are not what I'd think of as a, a normal host for rabies. I'm not sure if everyone will be familiar. Can you explain exactly what kudu are and why they are so unusual for transmitting rabies? Kudu, they are large antelopes that browse and um, they can actually be farmed where most of the people that are keeping kudus, they are basically for tourism purposes and also for hunting for trophies. They graze or they browse in, um, in groups. They follow each other and they normally browse on acacia trees and uh, they have got those sharp thorns that can cause lesions in the mouth of the kudu. And um, after the initial infection of the first animal, the first kudu from another wild animals, now it can affect other kudu population. Well, that's amazing. So you're already seeing what looks like kudu to kudu transmission because of this unusual browsing behavior and sociality. Exactly. Really interesting. I suppose you also have to have enough hosts and have the sort of demographic turnover so that they can be new susceptible individuals that can be infected by those that are spreading the disease in order to actually maintain it. And I guess that's what you're seeing in Brazil, Jane. Yes, because, you know, in, for example, in Northeast, what we have is that uh, the wildlife, mainly the wild dogs and even the marmosets, they are kept as pets. And in a certain moment, they bite, they develop the disease, and there is a, a, a close interaction between the wild dogs with the domestic dogs because they, they live together. And you have a mix of the wildlife and the domestic animals as well as humans. So tell me, in your own settings now, what are your priorities for rabies control and particularly rabies control in wildlife, starting off with Cassie? Yeah, so our national surveillance system is very robust and that allows us to monitor the rabies situation across the country. We have our healthcare providers treat over 1 million bite patients every year. Um, We test over 100,000 samples for suspicion of rabies every year. And so as part of that surveillance, one of our main priorities is identifying potentially high-risk samples that might indicate the spread of a virus variant to a new area, or it could be one of those cross-species transmission events that we've identified as high-risk for a host shift event, or potentially monitoring for imported variants, although we do have regulations in place to ensure that that doesn't happen, but we definitely want to monitor and make sure that if it does, we know about it and we're able to respond right away. So do you actually have particular parts of the country or particular species that you're most worried might be at risk for a variant that's circulating in that area or nearby? Yeah. So one of the species variant pairs that we are most concerned about in the U.S. is actually coyotes with our Arizona gray fox variant. That combination has a very high risk and 
we've been monitoring our Arizona gray fox variant as we think that its territory is actually expanding. Historically, it's been in Arizona and parts of western New Mexico, so pretty close together. Just this year, we've noticed it expanding farther west towards California, towards the coast, and also slowly for a few more years now, it's been expanding eastwards into Texas. And we definitely have a lot of coyotes in Texas and across the U.S., but we did historically have a coyote variant. Coyotes were reservoirs in Texas. So that is one thing that one species that we are particularly concerned about. How, how about in Brazil, Jane? Uh, how important do you think it is to control rabies in these wildlife populations? You know that in Brazil, it's very complicated to control the, the rabies in wild population because it's a huge country. We have a biodiversity. We have uh, the interaction between wildlife and, and people. So effectively, we don't have a kind of control. What we have is a surveillance. So we have a surveillance for bats. Uh, every bat that is found uh, on the floor, doesn't matter if it's dead or not, it's, uh, it's sent for, for a diagnosis. Any wildlife animal that is sick or it was found uh, hit in a, in a root, it's sent for a diagnosis. And presumably you, you have some areas with some wildlife transmission. It's really important that dog populations in those areas are vaccinated to not pose sort of a risk of re-emergence. You know that for dogs vaccination, we normally do in those areas because those areas are exactly the same areas that we have domestic dogs. But something that's very important in Brazil is that we had outbreaks of human rabies caused by bats in the north region of Brazil and also in, in indigenous community in Brazil. And something that uh, the government is doing now, it's implementing the, the prophylaxis vaccination for those people because the bats are constantly present, so they are in risk. And also, there are a lot of cultural situations that we need to consider and try to explain the risk and the importance for those people. Great, thanks. Uh, Rauna, how about in Namibia? What are your control priorities now for rabies? In Namibia, we are striving to reduce and eliminate dog-mediated human rabies. And uh, we said we can achieve this through education and awareness. We, we need to educate our people we have to give them the correct message about rabies, how it's transmitted, how can it be, it can be prevented and how it can be controlled. Apart from that, we are also trying to do proper and timely administration of post-exposure prophylaxis to the bite victims. And uh, most importantly, our focus control measures are conducting mass dog vaccination campaigns and uh, we are aiming to achieve a high percentage of coverage. And you've reported really quite rapid improvements in rabies control when you first got started in Namibia and now sounds positive as things have managed to get back on track. 
So do you think Namibia can hit the zero by 30 goal? I think, yes, we can. We are working closely with uh, international organizations, the WHO, WHO, and we are also getting uh, financial support from the federal government of Germany. And uh, as I have said, it's not a smooth ride, but uh, we, we are moving somewhere. That's great, Rauna. I mean, it sounds as if Namibia is on the right track. And I think many countries in sub-Saharan Africa will be inspired by the leading role that Namibia is playing. And hopefully they'll also be recognized for their emerging rabies control programs. Jane, how about Brazil? Oh, my God. (laughs) Difficult situation. Considering dog-mediated rabies, I guess that uh, we almost got the zero except some states. So we still have to push those states for vaccination, for public health education. But we have a, a very complicated problem with borders. So sometimes Brazil needs also to vaccinate the, the dogs in other countries for getting the control inside Brazil. But now the challenge really is the wildlife because we are having now dogs and cats rabies due to bats and the wildlife. And this is really very difficult because it means that we need to vaccinate all the animals close to the forest in isolated communities that is almost likely difficult, very difficult to do that in Brazil. So wildlife rabies and especially vampire bat rabies, those are a more complicated story than just transmission in dogs. I guess we need to separate the cycle. So those bats are direct transmitters to humans, but also they can transmit the rabies to cats and dogs. And cats now, they are getting rabies because of bats and they transmit the rabies to humans. So they transmit the bat variant to humans. So it's an indirect way to transmit in the secondary cycle. Yeah, it is really complicated. Um, I'm right in thinking though, in the big scheme in Brazil, you're actually very, very close to having zero deaths from dog mediated, zero human deaths from dog mediated yes. rabies. And now, what you've seen is this transition. Exactly. So, the deaths that you're seeing are actually ones from these different variants. Exactly. So, in the last years, we, we are having human rabies due to bats, due to cats, due to marmosets, and also to wild canids. So it also sounds to me as if basically any country that has got dog-mediated rabies does not want to let that dog-mediated rabies get into anything else. Yeah. How about in the US? Any lessons for zero by 30? Um, I think that trying to eliminate it in dogs is key to not letting host shift events happen into wildlife. The longer that it's in dogs, the more chance a virus has to mutate or for dogs to come into other contact with other wildlife and for that house shift to occur. So I think it's an important goal to strive for because otherwise you'll have more and more chances for rabies to start other cycles and this could feed back into dogs and 
you'll still have a lingering wildlife rabies like we do in the US. This is all fascinating, but we're going to have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much to my guests, Dr. Raunath Ingo in Namibia, Professor Jane Merged in Brazil, and Cassie Butel in the US. Remember to follow us on social media and share this podcast with your networks. It's available on our website, unitedagainstrabies.org, and on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Rabies Today. Thanks, as always, to Dogs Trust Worldwide for making this podcast possible. And see you next time for our final episode in this series, where we look at the global strategic plan to achieve zero human deaths from dog-mediated rabies by 2030, and ask, can we possibly get there from where we are now? Zero by 30, dead or alive. That's our topic next month. Bye for now.